and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the podcast that covers every single horror movie franchise one movie and one episode at a time i am your host mike snoonian and i'm joined once again by my co-host Lindsay travis Lindsay, how are we doing i am doing well how are you doing i'm doing all right you know i was commenting to one of our guests like right before we started how this stretch of time between Thanksgiving and our Christmas break seems to have been going on forever. So there are four work days until Christmas break and I am joyously counting all of them down. So I cannot wait to have a little breather here. That is exciting. That is exciting. I'm of that place where it's like, I tend to think in things that I have to complete versus Mm -hmm. days and it is a lot of things. How are those things? (laughs) There are many things to complete in the next few days, but We'll get after it. We'll get to it. All right. Speaking of getting to it, let's hop right in with our guest today. Let's introduce them. We have returning once again. He has been on, I think, if this was like Saturday Night Live, you would be part of like the gold jacket <laughs> club Steve, at I'd this point. Steve Martin. You yeah. definitely would be Steve Martin. So, yeah. because you can also play the ukulele, correct? <laughs> well, mostly guitar, but uh, yeah. Same difference. Bit. Same difference. Yeah. Welcome back, columnist for Bloody Disgusting, Brian Kuiper. Brian, how are we doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, in a similar boat to you, finishing up these you, last few days before before winter break. You finish tomorrow. You were I finish me. tomorrow, so I'm. You I, I don't. Son have, of a bitch. Yeah, I know. I know, man. So, but thank you for joining us tonight. I really appreciate oh. it. Um, and I'll, I'll say that nice thing now and then on Monday when I'm like furious about something going on, I'll be like, that son of a bitch Brian is already <laughs> on school break. It's the worst. And, and I through you, Massachusetts. I will deserve that, yeah. Yeah, probably. probably don't we all? <laughs> and Lindsay, can you introduce our other guest? Yes, I'm very excited to welcome Jenny Knopf. Crowd goes wild. Um, (laughs) Jenny is the director of programming for the Austin Asian American Film Festival, and she is a regular contributor to the Austin Chronicle. Yes, that's me. Very Austin. (laughs) Very Austin. Did I get that right? Austin Asian American Film Fest? You did, yes. Um, Not as many people remember the American part, but yeah. (laughs) Here we are. Nice. And how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. You know, just uh, my one of my main jobs uh, or freelance positions is in Philly. And so for the past two days, there has been 
not much going on because I had a huge snowstorm. So Christmas mm-hmm. did start early for me. <laughs> Lucky you, I guess. At least you don't have the snow, but you get the snow day benefits. I know. I love it. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't even get, because all our kids are remote at the district I'm a counselor in, there's not even snow days. Yeah. We are the kids. It's a full work day and I have to like shovel and plow and all that. So <laughs> this awesome. is basically super grumpy me right now. Like I am feeling a little bit salty tonight. So let's well, you see. don't look grumpy because you've got these pretty excellent ornaments in your beard. I do. That is true. I do have um, beard ornaments that my wife got me. Um, so I, you know, I've been wearing them. I've been wearing them um, and feeling pretty jaunty. So it's hard to be angry when you too angry when you have like Christmas bulbs hanging from your face. So yeah, feel a little bit like Captain Lou Albano, former wrestling manager extraordinaire. <laughs> so what are we here to talk about tonight? We are on our second movie in this series. We are here to talk. Final Destination 2, released 2003 from director David R. Ellis from New Line Cinemas. And I will kick this over to our guest, Jenny. What was it about this movie? What was it about this uh, the series as a whole and the second installment in particular that first drew you in? Oh, my God. Okay, so I actually started this series with the third film. <laughs> Um, it was when I was in high school and I was really into going to Hollywood video and I rented this when I was going babysitting. I rented this in the prestige. Don't ask how I remember it so well. That's a Uh, great double feature. I did not like the prestige, (laughs) but I loved final destination three. And this is probably like slander on film Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I feel super validated and vindicated uh, because I didn't like the prestige either. And uh, if that's a very spicy hot take. It is. Would yeah. you have liked the prestige more if every time um, Hugh Jackman, this, oh, sorry, Christian Bale disappeared, he reappeared on a tanning bed? Probably. <laughs> I might like it more. I might like it more. <laughs> I or think you, have, like... you have four dozen Christian Bales on a roller coaster. Like that's where he reappeared. There are a bunch it. of Christian Bales. <laughs> yeah, that's where they rematerialized. Um, that would be fine with me. I feel like the thing about the prestige and this might be one of those things that sounds super dumb, but I only ever watched it once and never watched it again. So I never, you know, checked my work, but like, were we really not supposed to know that it was Christian Bale the whole time? Oh my God. That's what I thought in high school. <laughs> I was like, am I, was I supposed to like be surprised by this ending? Cause I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you were supposed to be surprised that it was the, a twin yeah i was surprised i was like oh i i'm i was like one of those like really weird bookworms that would try to that had like was very jaded by twists and i would always Mm -hmm. guess them and think of all the possibilities and so that was one of them where everyone was like oh the twist will get you and i was like i bet it won't and then it didn't (laughs) did you I i wasn't told that there was a twist to that one so i think it caught me so and uh, same with The Sixth Sense. I didn't know that there was even a twist to the end of The Sixth Sense. So I went into it like just, I'm watching a movie. So I wasn't looking for a twist. But if someone tells me there's a twist, I will always look for it and I usually figure it out. So it's funny. We actually, we talked about The Sixth Sense last week because I was saying how I ruined it for like a whole bunch of <laughs> us because I didn't know. I just was like, oh, okay, then. So he died in that scene. 
Like I just, right at the beginning, I was like, oh, he just, so he died. And everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, he's dead. Look, no one's talking to him because he's dead. Like I didn't, I thought we were like supposed to know that. Right. I, I guess time. I was thinking about it because I've been binging King of the Hill. And, right. <laughs> and there's a, there's Lucky, who's played by Tom Petty in the later seasons. He says, it turns out fire isn't the worst thing you can yell in a theater. It's Bruce Willis is a ghost. <laughs> Yeah, so, that was me. So it's I did so it's that. My, so and then I don't that I think I was expecting a twist in the sixth sense. It was a long time ago. I guess I was expecting it. I don't remember. But the prestige I I wasn't. I just like didn't know that it was a twist. And in the end, when that whole scene happens with the like, are you watching closely or whatever, I was like, oh wait, were we not supposed to notice? Right. <laughs> I thought it was like we were supposed to know. So. I was like, in fact, I was watching closely. <laughs> yeah, it's Christian Bale on a mustache. Like, what, what am I missing here? <laughs> well, Jenny, I feel vindicated. Uh, I... Tangent, I guess. I didn't even yes. answer the question about Final oh, Destination yeah. 2. Well, that's kind of our brand here. <laughs> yes. We're saying very on brand early on. Um, but yeah, Final Destination 2, I actually watched after 3 because mm. a really good friend of mine who worked at the movie theater I worked at was like, oh, you love the third one? You'll probably love the second one. Mm-hmm. And this was before the fourth and the fifth had come out. So I went back and watched the second and then I watched the first. So <laughs> reverse funny. order. Excellent. Like Benjamin Button them. Excellent. Okay. Um, Brian, how about yourself? You know, I can't remember exactly when I came to watching the Final Destination movies, but it was like really late it was really recently Mm -hmm. um so long after i think i saw the first one after the fifth one had come out so um but i did watch them in order um (laughs) which you know doesn't always happen obviously so um um but something as i always just thought they were a lot of fun Mm -hmm. Um, uh, um so that's one of the things that's great about this series is it's fun horror you know Mm -hmm. it's not too heavy you can go in just you can kind of just throw it on and let it happen you know um and just have a good time watching it and i showed them all to my son Mm -hmm. and um who we had been watching a few series and um we just loved watching these together this was one of our uh, favorite series to watch together um Mm -hmm. We watched them just like five days in a row. Um, and two was the one that sort of stood out. It might have been because of the ending, because he could not stop talking about that ending <laughs> for, for days. He was just like exploding barbecues was a thing for him for a while. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that. Well, of course. I mean, too. as everyone knows, we're going to spoil. <laughs> we are going to spoil this movie that is 17 years old. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway... Um, yeah, so I, I, this one's just a lot of fun for me. Uh, just great time at the movies, you know? I, I think you, both you and Jenny kind of hit it very well right there. Number one, you can watch these movies out of order. Um, you know, they pretty much all work as standalone movies. Now, there are little things here or there that you might pick up, and especially the payoff at the end of the fifth movie, works a bit better if you've seen all of them but you know you can pick up a part three or a part two and start with that one and they work as really good i think really good standalone movies and also they are a lot of fun and when i look back at especially 
starting in 2003, because I know that's the year that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake came out. And I remember walking out of the theater and thinking to myself, like, I would have gotten the same effect if I just, like, watched someone hit a sack of ground beef for two hours with a stick. Like, that's pretty much kind of how I felt about, like, it's just started to be all about, like, how grotesque can we get and how gory and like not even that because i don't mind a good gore and splatter movie but like how nihilistic can we get yeah. um, well this is before oh. saw and, mm-hmm. and hostile and you know mm-hmm. that real you know when things were just started getting really dire grim, and grim is right. exactly the word everything's always dirty you know yeah i movies. mean like there is no other decade except for the first one of the 2000s, like where you could say, let's go ahead and make Last House on the Left. Like that's what the world really needs right now is a remake of Last House on the Left. Like, because that will be a fun date night for the kids on a Friday night. You know what I mean? And, and it would get like a release in front of like 3000 theaters basically. So mm-hmm. because like, God damn, it was like a dire 10 years. And I like some of those movies. Okay. You know, I mean, and, and hey, you can. I no no yeah. judgment. Yeah, and and you know, I, and that's 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 the whole. That's I just wanted to throw that in, just because it's not that I don't like the Saw movies, or you know, I don't really love the Hostel movies. But that's just me. But just that griminess and stuff is not present here. And hmm. you know, it's pick your poison, I guess, a little bit. But man, these are just fun, and that is mm-hmm. one of the great things that sometimes is missed in in horror films for stretches of time Mm -hmm. is movies that are just fun to watch yeah so i'm in a minority i don't hate the texas chainsaw remake i also watched it a couple years ago for the Mm -hmm. first time and the reason is is because i think that it really benefits from having the original cinematographer but on top of it there's house pigs (laughs) which i (laughs) they just have pigs in the house and i'm just like wow what a pleasant group of cannibals that keeps Mm -hmm. Like mini micro pigs in the house. <laughs> I like the. I don't don't mind the remake either. I also think this was a really fun era for movies. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I'm. I don't think I'm in the minority. I think we're a, we're a split group here. Maybe. A lot of people love the Texas Chainsaw remake, and that's totally fine. I actually like the second one more. Um, the set the sequel to the remake, and I'm the same way on like Rob Zombie's Halloween movies, where I don't really like the first one at all. But I will. I am completely ride or die in part two, where I think part two I is part two, yeah. fantastic. It seems like a lot of people are coming around on that now, and I'm like, where were you in 2009, you sons of bitches? You're too cool. Yeah, before 2018 came out, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two was my mm-hmm. second favorite in the series. Mm-hmm. So, damn, yeah. that was a spicy take too. Yeah, that is a very hot spicy take. Is the implication <laughs> that 2018 has usurped part two of Rob Zombie for you? Yes, it has. Interesting. Okay. Mm. I forget where I rank them, and I think like every time I rewatch the series, my rankings change. Oh yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Nothing will move resurrection from that top slot, but you know, aside from <laughs> that's really the only thing set in stone. Um, speaking of which, I don't know if anyone's read Taking Shape 2. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty great read in all the movies that were not made um for the Halloween series, but there were some out there takes, especially 
after the second Rob Zombie movie, like when they were looking to reboot it, like there were some weird, like think like Halloween mixed with Insidious and you have a three film treatment that was prepared. So highly recommend that book um, for folks looking for a good read. But we're not here to talk about the Halloween series tonight. Um, we're here to talk about Final Destination 2. And I, I just want to like dive a little bit into the background here of the movie. Um, definitely we don't have as much as we did the first film, but specifically with like uh, one of the writers of the movie, Jeffrey Reddick, who basically Final Destination, the first movie was his baby. It was his spec script that was adapted. We talked a lot about some of the real changes that were made as the movie went from like a spec treatment to what Morgan and Wong did with it. Um, what I found interesting, like there's a really good article, like at, uh, some really good articles as Reddick has promoted his other work. Um, he talks about his experiences being an out gay male and a black male in Hollywood and the real frustrations he had at being stonewalled over and over again when he was trying to write inclusive characters for his scripts. Um, he talks specifically about Final Destination 2, the character of Jenny being written as an African-American young woman and how that role was obviously changed and how he said that he often writes LGBT characters into his scripts and they're often rewritten by someone else uh, explicitly as straight. Um, he mentioned one project he's trying to get funding for right now where he wrote a very specific like queer male lead. That role was offered to Logan Paul, who you know from YouTube, Ew. if you're unfortunate enough to know. And like that is like one of the few people like when my daughter was watching YouTube, she stumbled on his stuff and I'm like, nope, like he's banned in this house. Like she's like, oh why? God, I like, wish I didn't know who he was. Exactly. We would be better off. <laughs> I guess um, I feel lucky because I have no clue. Good yeah. for you. Is Logan Paul that guy that recently stood up for Harry Styles? And I was like, uh, Harry Styles doesn't need anyone standing yes, up for him. Yeah. <laughs> where I was like, he quote stood up for him on his podcast mm -hmm. where he hosts 10 other guys who made fun of him. Right. So I guess that makes him a hero. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> was offered this okay. role and then through his representatives say, I'm not going to play this role if I have to be gay. Like, there's no way I'm going to oh, do that. That checks out. Checks out, checks that box. Not surprising. <laughs> um, so he was removed to Harry from Styles. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's yeah, too busy. Great. He'd be removed from it. Um, so he does talk. And I thought about this in particular because there was that article that came out yesterday. Uh, and there was a gentleman who was in that show, Heroes. He talked about his experience on that show as like one of the few, like the only black character and almost in some ways being paraded by the makers of the show saying, hey, look, like we have this really diverse cast, but at the same time, like there was never anything for him to do. Uh, and by the end of the first season, they're like, we're writing you off the show because your co-star, Ali Lauder, like doesn't like you and can't get along with you and... You know, she in essence, she's a bigger star, even though, you know, we don't like dealing with her. Um, and how, you know, Reddick talked a lot in some of these interviews about how his stories get whitewashed, basically, and how like representation is used as kind of like virtue signaling. Like, look, look, look what we're doing. Like, we have this diverse cast, but at the same time, like the the persons of color really only serve to like 
prop up the white characters in the movie. And I found that really interesting, like a really interesting discussion in some of these interviews with Reddick. Also, what's really neat is he talks about at age 14, he saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time and it became his favorite movie. So he did what did what any 14-year-old would do. He wrote a prequel script that he then sent unsolicited to Bob Shea, head of New Line Cinemas. And Bob Shea sent him a very nice handwritten letter back saying, thanks for sending this, but we don't read unsolicited material because, you know, we don't want to get accused of stealing ideas if we ever go in a direction. And Jeffrey Reddick, being Jeffrey Reddick, said, well, uh, I have rented at least three of your movies and I've bought Freddie merchandise. Therefore, you owe it to me to read my script, you son of a bitch. Read my script. Thank God. <laughs> which of course. Bob, to which Bob Shea said, all right, I guess I'll read it. And they became pen pals, which, you know, I mean, it's 2020 and maybe there's something wrong about like a 60 year old. <laughs> but I'm going to choose to think that it was not because... Um, that's how I want my brain to think. And when it's more Red- absurd that he would be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll read your script." I think, you know, I think like when you look at the history of New Line Cinema and how it was like literally Shay starting it from like a closet and just like using every piece of copyright law that he knew to get his hands on things like Reefer Madness and bringing the camp in campus. It's like he really built that from the ground up. He's like probably had a bit of a soft spot for people that were maybe a little bit more self-starting, especially when it's a kid. Um, so sure. Reddick went on to like become an intern at New Line and then work there 11 years. Um, and like a lot of folks that worked at New Line like talk about actually it was a really good experience to work there. So I kind of found that pretty cool. And then Lindsay, you had some stuff in David Ellis, the director of this movie, so. Oh yeah, just, you know, kind of going through who made this movie happen, because of course it's a sequel. We think about Reddit coming back. He's credited for the story, um, but he obviously didn't write the final script. Um, The director Ellis has kind of like a grab bag resume. You know, he's a second unit director. He was also a stunt performer. So his like most popular credits are things like, National Lampoon's Vacation. Um, But uh, yeah, he came in, directed this one. He also directed The Final Destination, which is the fifth one. Um, But this is his first feature after, or sorry, his second feature. His first one was Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. What a... (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) yeah. But then, uh, yeah, he did a lot of things like um, a lot of those, you know, spy Americana thrillers like Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, um, some weird things like that. So pretty, pretty interesting resume for this director. And then he comes back for number five, which I think is pretty absurd. Pretty unreal. Excuse me. He also did Snakes on a Plane. How dare you overlook this emo masterpiece? (laughs) Field by Ramen did the soundtrack. I mean, classic. Kevin, you're right kevin smith and, and unfortunately uh ellis passed away in 2013 and uh kevin smith shared a story that he uh, ellis told him on the set of cop out where uh some dude tried to carjack david ellis at one point and him being a stunt person is like all right you you know basically having a um gene hackman moment in royal tenenbaum saying you want to get you know basically you want to talk jive i'll talk some jive and he basically with the guy hanging on to the car started to go like zero to 60 backwards and then like totally spun out 
And this guy then basically shit his pants and ran away in terror and did not um did not oh, carjack David Ellis. He also like shot second unit for things, I think maybe Harry Potter, um, and also the freeway scene in the Matrix Reloaded. So this makes is... sense the freeway scene i mean mm-hmm. pretty iconic scene whether you like the movie or not and mm-hmm. uh kind of interesting for final destination seems this, very very this in the... is a guy that knew how to shoot freeway action yeah very mm-hmm. in the realm and what do we know about the co-writers of this movie so the co-writers are ultimately uh jay i think it's i don't know if it's Mackay or mackey uh gruber i'm gonna say like Mackay from fugazi we'll see. yeah i'm thinking jay Mackay gruber which is a very cool name, and Eric uh, Bress. What's cool about them, the reason why I thought it was important to note is that they actually also co-wrote The Butterfly Effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and last week we were talking about how the original film really spares us butterfly effect stuff mm-hmm. um, without even thinking that it was the same writers. But um, I mean, The Butterfly Effect, not just the movie title. The movies really do spare us that, oh, this person was kept alive and therefore the whole world is going to change for these, you know, 5,000 reasons. I'm happy mm. that the movie spared us that. And this one also spares us that, but almost in a little bit um, of a different way because it does bring in the whole new life thing, which is a little bit mm-hmm. of a change. I think it's really interesting that these guys have kind of explored the consequences of surviving certain death in two very different ways. They talk a lot on the commentary and the commentary is like really fun. It has Ellis, it has the writers, it has Craig Perry, the producer. Um, And like, it's really light and breezy. It's actually like a really fun commentary to listen to. And they talk a lot about how they wanted to have this real logic behind all the deaths and Mm -hmm. how they actually, the deaths in the movie were actually even more over the top because they thought that's what audiences wanted. And after the first test screening, audiences are like, that's a little bit too much right now. So they actually reshot or like kind of edited back a little bit some of the gruesomeness of it. Um, But they talk specifically how they wanted to not just do like another straight horror movie, but they wanted to move to like a horror comedy action hybrid. And they specifically reference Aliens and Evil Dead 2 in terms of like the tone they were going for. In- what? Yeah. <laughs> That's surprising. It really seems like they shot their shot, but I don't know if they uh, succeeded in making a stakes raising horror comedy. I mean, they're not saying they like top James Cameron and aliens. Like yeah. they're not, you know, they're not saying that. Um, right. I mean, cause aliens is like the fourth best movie in that franchise. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's no time um, there's, there's no end to the hot takes in this, uh, no in this episode yeah we're full of hot takes okay <laughs> so what is it like where do we want to start with this um i'm okay with going in the order we put things like Lindsay, why don't you talk a little bit about the lore and what they add to the mix this time where it's more than just death trying to tie up some loose ends here well um yeah so the first one keeps it pretty simple uh someone has a premonition now they're all gonna die in order because they survived death as a result of this premonition um there's a little bit the change is you know if it skips somebody and what happens if death comes back around or not this adds some interesting elements i mean there's the element of clear thinking that they're gonna die in reverse um which we can dig into i think we should 
But the biggest change that it makes to the lore is this whole new life thing. So it's like you can de- defeat death if you create new life, which is really confusing. The uh, pregnant woman whose name escapes me, Isabella, uh, who is supposed to have died in this bridge um, catastrophe that we see in the opening of the film, um, because she gives birth, it's it's explained that she uh, can thwart death that way. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole bit where, um, is it Kimberly? Drives herself into the water to die and let the doctor save her because technically that's a new life and that's how they avoid death. I don't know. That's, it's a little bizarre yeah. to me. I don't know that if I buy it so much. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, that seems like okay so you it seems like oh we need one more action set piece for the end of this yeah you know because because it seems like the baby being born that wasn't supposed to be born sort of would satisfy the lore that they set up earlier in the movie then all of a sudden there's just this oh we gotta we gotta you know kill clear and we gotta (laughs) drive into the lake for some reason you know i mean to me that that it seems like okay we need we need it to be a little bit longer and there needs to be one more action set piece so here we go we're gonna add this to it it's really weird how these visions work because like it seems like it's almost like a 3d virtual reality where like despite the fact that you're i think i said jenny earlier right it's kimberly um despite like kimberly would have been like pinned in in her car while something came barreling down at her she has this very clear image of isabella standing like hundreds of yards off in the distance like totally unscathed at that point like it's really it seems like the visions um can sometimes be very convenient plot devices well, the visions in this one are like hints and they don't all come from one person. Like it's the vision of, of the doctor that mm-hmm. um, they go by after a while. So there's, there's different people are having different visions. And I honestly, I just watched it and I don't even remember what is happening in that big hospital scene where they're just like looking for this doctor who had no, this they- vision. They think the doctor is a murderer. Yes. <laughs> right. They think the doctor is going to mm-hmm. kill the baby, right? Oh, For my no God. reason. Like, Pretty just good. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, right, 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 right. I'm like, is... I just watched it. I already forgot. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah there's, there's, thoughts, there's not good policing going on in this movie. Definitely. Not, that's right. not good police work. I mean, and, you could argue that death is really trying to trick them, though. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'll give you hints, but also I'm going to make these hints so wild that you can't guess them for mm-hmm. the life of you. And that's something that I'm, one of, I'm wondering, you know, if, if death is, is the constant, um, you know, the force that is working to take them all out, is it another force that is giving these people these premonitions to escape death or what, (laughs) or is that death as well? It's very, you know, because in the first, in, in, in in every movie, someone has a premonition that says, Hey, we're going to escape death. Well, is where are these premonitions coming from? They're just sort of out of the blue. These people have never experienced them before. And 
what is bringing that to them? Is it another force? I don't know. <laughs> and that's never explored, is it? Like in no. five no. There's never No, you don't know who or what or how these premonitions are happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Tony them. Todd. Maybe it's Tony Todd. Maybe. That's my theory. Is he's just <laughs> fucking with people at this point he... and enjoying his life or death? <laughs> afterlife. Ooh. His death life. We his definitely <laughs> we definitely need to talk about Tony Todd later in this show because it's like a it feels like a much different performance than oh my gosh, yes. watching them back to back i'm like this feels a little bit like weird um what's what one of the things about this movie is that death seems much more proactive in this movie like in the first movie like i'm thinking in particular the death of like miss luton where a bunch of things happen that can be kind of chalked up to coincidence. Mm. Like the mug, you know, she gets scared. She gets like startled by the mug because it has the name of the school and it's still really hot. Then she puts the cold ice cubes in and it cracks the mug and then it drips. So, and then, you know, so that's not this one, like death slams the window shut of uh, the lottery winner's door and then later on, when the when the dude is in the hospital, like the vents close on their own. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, something is actually manipulating things now, as opposed to the first movie, where it is just a bunch of like, really weird coincidences. Uh, not necessarily, though, because there is that first one of the first kills in the first one is the bathroom scene where the water yeah, droplet the water has its own yeah. like. Yeah, that's true. When it recedes, yeah, <laughs> it like it's like it's covering up its tracks. It had to make mm-hmm. it look like a suicide. <laughs> that is that's true, and I know we said t- that's a really good point. We did talk about that, but it doesn't um, it doesn't take the because uh, he's trying to get to the scissors, and the scissors like stay where they are. Like de- like a wind doesn't blow through the bathroom through an unopened window and then knock the scissors out of his reach. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or the um, cord doesn't retract on its own when he's just standing there and wrap itself around his neck. But no, I do see your point because it, right, we did talk about the water kind of going back and how kind of like mean that was. The receding water. And now they're running around looking for Dr. Clargian. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because Ooh. they're going to, they think they're going to, he's going to kill Isabella. <laughs> it's a, who is a baby killer, which would be. Yeah. And then I was like, no, it's a doctor. Oh, I knew it. I need to drive into the river. Hey, listeners, Mike here. I just want to cut into the show with what I promise will be a brief pitch for our Patreon account. And I got musical cues and everything to not run past. If you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis, humor, criticism, insight, charm, good looks really the complete package we hope you consider supporting us by becoming a patreon of our pod your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our servers hosts by purchasing better recording and editing equipment and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies the books the documentaries and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life Our weekly show is always going to be free. And we know that times are tight for everyone right now. 
we also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover, and all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today. And now back to the show. So I don't have any discussion of this movie we have to talk about the opening scene and I kind of yes. want to ask like, and I'll kick fix. I've said enough so far. Like I can, I, sh- I should be quiet for a couple minutes. Like where do we feel that this opening falls in terms of the uh, five films in terms of like the best kind of opening sequence? For me, I think it's the best one. And I love them all. I mean, the race car track is sort of like, okay, but for me, um, this is the one that tops them all. I, I think you get a great sense of space where everybody is at a mm-hmm. given time. Um, there's, it's just this mat. It's this. It's just a massive sequence for one thing. All the moving parts of it are uh, pretty astonishing, um, and it's also, I think, even more relatable than any of the others. You know, I mean, obviously people fly and some people fly a lot, but not as much as you get on a freeway, Mm -hmm. you know, or uh, I get on the freeway a lot more than I get on roller coasters, even, you know, and things like that. But um, I love the, like I said, all the openings are pretty cool, but for me, this is the one that tops them all. Yeah, I actually would agree. I'm like, I think for me, even though three is probably my favorite, this probably has my favorite opening tied with the first one because those ones are essentially the most relatable ones and i think that they're the ones that actually like kind of do the domino pieces the best if that makes sense yeah 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 you guys convinced me i had this one ranked much lower where did you originally have it i don't know maybe just because this movie didn't click with me that i kind of just like brushed off the opener but I do really, yeah, the sense of space is a really good point. And then the whole relatable piece is also a really great point. Um, everything you guys said, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I think definitely technically it's one of the best. Um, you know, how you're seeing so many different things happening at the same time that are all interrupted by a single event um, that has, you know, a domino effect. So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's the least, maybe it's because it's the least fun. Not that like any like groups of deaths are super fun, but I think, you know, obviously- uh- <laughs> I think deaths are fun. <laughs> the airplane popping. I love the bridge scene, even though it's yeah, so fun. Uh, just so much fun. Um, the airplane is so crazy. Like I love the background airplane explosion. We all know that. I love you know the bridge scene is silly, but I think it's really fun and cool. Um, the roller coaster and then the the race car, the race whatever. They're just so much fun. So I'm kind of like oh freeway. Well, it's kind of boring, but. Yeah, but you guys really sold me. You really changed my mind. I, I think I what 
I think what this one adds over the first one, like I love the plane exploding in the background in the first one. Like that's such a cool <laughs> moment. Um, but this one, like the danger is still all around them, basically. Like even though they've removed themselves from the situation, like that chaos is yeah. unfolding all around them. And I actually, and I just watched this like last year and I completely forgot that Kimberly's three friends die at the beginning of this movie. Me like, too. Yeah. Forgot. Um, yeah, there are like deaths out the gate, which is pretty cool. And I like how it does change it up from the first one where you assume that these friends are going to be there in the long run. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we know now, rewatching it, or like if I, you're like me and you watched it later, you're like, oh, these actors in the other cars, they're bigger than the friends. Mm-hmm. So the friends aren't going to be here for a long time, but like it's still a surprise that the friends are knocked out first. Yep. Yeah, that even now, like even though I've seen this movie a handful of times, like I, I don't know why I forgot that, but I did. And I'm like, holy shit, what a great kind of little twist right there like that's a great little plot device because now you have these characters that don't know one another and you have to try to make them work together um that's one of the things i really like about this installment is that it's not um it's that it's death can come for anybody kind of mm -hmm. idea i mean they're different ages they have just sort of different things going on they're complete strangers um, you can be pregnant together (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and and so that's one of the things I really like about this installment overall. Um, and- I, I also think that the logs, I mean, who hasn't been behind a truck with logs and thought, oh, gosh, oh yeah. shit, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. It yeah. is, it is impossible to drive behind a, a log, a, a, a car, a truck with holding those logs now and not immediately think of this movie. Like when I get, I love roller coasters. Like I, when we went to Universal Studios, like there was a night where my daughter and my wife like tapped out. They're like, yeah, it's like six o'clock. We're really tired. I'm like, I'm going back to the theme park because like I am using every penny of this four day pass that I can. And I'm going on like the single rider line for the Hulk. And I just went on like six times in a row with like no line. And I have never been happier like i absolutely adore roller coasters and like getting i never think of this movie when uh or final destination three when i get on a roller coaster i never think of like i never think of this movie uh, or final destination one when i get on a plane but i think of like oaks when i'm behind like a flatbed truck with a ton of logs on it or if someone has like a couch tied to their SUV. And what's funny is, you know, watching the documentary to this movie, not the documentary, the the, um, director's commentary. Yes, thank you. They tried to see like what would happen if we would use real logs, like, you know, how much of this could we shoot with real logs with nobody around and we can do compositing. And what happens when a log flies off a flatbed truck at 60 miles an hour is it essentially it bounces like two inches off the ground, like <laughs> keeps moving, but it doesn't have that like let's bounce and then skitter and then go through someone's face. And they're like, well, that pretty much sucks. So there, you know, were some liberties made with physics in order to like really make this scene work. And a lot of it is the, the one drawback of this movie, like the first film is mostly all practical effects this movie there are a fair amount of digital effects and they often show 
Um, and I think we talk about one death in particular, like it's really digital and it really doesn't. But yeah, I think that this is among, and I guess I have to watch three, four, and five again. But I, I think that this to me is like the best death of any in the in them overall. Let's talk about. I love this note right here. The stupid decision making that's made in this movie. So I think like what's really fun about this movie is it is like bad idea genes on a lot of these decisions. So. I love horror movies that just like unabashedly have people that are dumb in it. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, some people don't, but I just, I love it. <laughs> people are dumb. It's like the joke about like the zombie movies aren't going to be realistic anymore unless there are like a bunch of people running towards the zombies being like, bite me. It's a liberal hoax. So we can't <laughs> keep pretending that like people aren't dumb. And Final Destination knew. <laughs> they were like, really makes characters real dumb because we know. It we know humanity better. It, um, I mean, you can make an argument that like Kimberly is de- directly responsible for a number of the deaths in this movie because like the characters are just going about their business and then Kimberly distracts them somehow and the next thing you know, like they wound up you know, crushed by glass or, exactly. you know, like Force stuck in me. an elevator, you know? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of good deaths in this movie, despite itself. Like, um, the elevator death is good, and I think it's really scary. We were talking about this, and um, the elevator death <laughs> is one of the scariest ones. Um, mm-hmm. Trace, who will be on um, in an episode or two, will probably tell us one of the scariest things we think in movies is when people really express that they don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of that like moment in uh, Friday the 13th part four when Rob's like he's killing yeah me. funny for some people but to me I'm like oh terrifying and there's a part mm-hmm. in that elevator death where she just says I don't want to die and it's just absolutely devastating and it's and it's like minutes after she says like look my husband died a few years ago I just lost my son if it's my time to be reunited with him I'm fine with that yeah. And everyone says that until their head is wedged in an elevator door and then they start to think differently. And that's yeah. one thing I think this movie touches on too. You mentioned, you know, I, 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 her, her philosophy is of death is sort of brought into this and sort of the philosophies of death of all the characters are brought in in different ways. Just briefly, usually it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, if it's time for me to be in heaven with my kids, you know, with my family, then, I, then it's time for me to go. And then other than the other guys, like, you know, I control my own destiny. Death has no control over me. And, you know, I, I, I kind of liked that, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't explore it very deeply. Um, I like horror movies where, or movies in general, where people kind of have to grapple with their own mortality a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting uh, touch in this one. Yeah. Jenny, what were you going to say? Oh, I was about to say, like, I I do like how the film, I like how they worked that scene a lot, too. Uh, and how, like, she, I think it's interesting when characters also are like, I don't, like, I, I can die right now. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's their choice feels like it's taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I think it's the suddenness. And yeah, I think it is the fact that their, their choice is just gone and they don't get to choose. They are getting it chosen for them and that kind of sense of like you don't control what your own life is i think that sense of like loss of control is yeah. scary 
it is um, a bizarre scene. If for no other reason, you have this dude with just a cardboard box filled with prosthetic limbs for no reason. <laughs> just like it's the most normal chill thing in the world to be carrying prosthetic limbs to your apartment. And then it's also the most normal thing to like very obviously lean over and sniff someone's hair from bottom to top. Like it's no thing whatsoever. Like, oh, this is fresh bread right out of the oven. Let me take a big spout, except it's someone's human hair. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of weird in that apartment. We've got a little, yeah, that's an odd apartment building. Um, I don't know. It feels like every uh, quick build, like nice apartment. I put nice in quotations. You can't even see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like those really expensive ones that all look the same, but have like those eerie, creepy hallways that also yes. you could get lost in easily, even though there's like only five floors. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then the deputy, I can't remember the deputy's name, some terrible names. He... Like, let's all say it his death trap apartment. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, how much, yeah. how much outdoors equipment can one man possibly fit <laughs> into? You know, like, we get it, dude. You're buff. You like to work out. You're active. We get it. Like, that was a bad idea. Everybody, let's stay in this death trap together. Like, again, this is like with with Kimberly. She's the anti Scooby Doo, or like maybe these people would have lived if it wasn't for her meddling. And you know, <laughs> it's just, it's really, it's really bizarre. And maybe they wouldn't have died so horrendously. Maybe. <laughs> like horrific. Yeah. Maybe the mom would have died in her sleep. You know, maybe she would have had like a heart attack, but died peacefully in her sleep. Instead, she's decapitated by an elevator. With like a creepy, like a mechanical hand pulling her hair. Back. Yes, <laughs> the box of nonsense. Yep. And what is with everybody getting a burner phone? I don't know. Oh, like, I, I didn't even think about that. I guess but, I just thought that was like, oh, that's an early two thousands phone. Like I had an Nokia block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like not was like, like everybody give me. I'll put your phone number in my phone. It's. Let me give everybody a burner phone. Like it's the death line, basically. And it has my favorite trope in a movie where someone doesn't know how phones work and they're screaming into the phone with like one ear blocked. Like the deputy has never used <laughs> oh, a phone yeah. before. Like and then like one ear block scream into the phone. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Like as if it's gonna make something happen faster. And maybe because I watched like the original Black Christmas and this movie, like literally back to back, but there's a scene in Black Christmas when Sergeant Nash is told, like, get, you know, Olivia Hussey out of the house. Do it calmly. Don't fuck it up. And within 10 seconds, he's like, you need to leave. The killer's in the house. Run it. Like, just completely. You have, like, this guy screaming, like, a man with a hook is going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, not things you want to hear on a phone call. Um. <laughs> I love the use of shadow play though for that one mm-hmm. where like yeah. the shadows are like they, yeah. they look really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looks like a guy with hooks. <laughs> yep. And I think they, they talked about the writers talked about that like being written in the script. And then when they were asked, like, what are we supposed to do to make that work? They're like, I don't know, like you're the director, you figure it out. Like we're <laughs> you know, which is where you figure that out. So yeah, it does yeah. look really cool. Incredible. <laughs> That's Damn incredible. right. Um, 
what's the deal with clear in this movie like why does she why does she have blonde hair yeah why is her well okay but her hair <laughs> why did she dye her hair in like solitary why did you wrap this up <laughs> because i was like oh jenny is the perfect person for this discussion <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because, um, because okay, so Claire does have blonde hair in the final scene of Final Destination One, mm-hmm. which we know is because it was a reshoot, and I guess they they were like, no, it's not going to work. Let's let this blonde hair happen. Because she kind of goes blonde at the end of the first movie, and then goes directly to, um, she commits herself to a psych ward, which I have a lot of questions about that. But her hair remains blonde. I mean, I think she's supposed to have been there for two years or something. I, and yet they're letting her like do touch-ups in the bathroom, <laughs> even though like she's not allowed to have anything near her. And like hair dye being what it is. Bleach. Be, like, yeah. Like she, we're meant to believe she has brown hair. Yeah, but, it's how long does hair dye typically last? Like if you dye your long. hair. Okay. It's a difficult question because there's a lot of factors. I mean, it will fade, yeah. And there's a lot of factors into whether or not it'll fade, but roots are roots, like her hair right. grows. Because yeah. her hair is lush. I mean, her hair is like, <laughs> I mean, obviously when she's in there, it's a little bit, you know, like she could maybe use some Pantene, but like the minute she, <laughs> the minute she checks herself out, she's like, I am Ali fucking Lauder again. Yeah. She's like, you may know oh. me as like the Dorito girl. Um, oh yeah, I think when we rewatched it, I was like, focused on her jacket i was like where did she get that leather jacket yes. it is yeah. so cool like, got, like a sick outfit and like mm-hmm. highlighted hair mm-hmm. it's hard to know so she was in there from the time that like alex died and uh, alex is written on and i guess like originally devin sawa was going to return for part two and he said you know it'd be kind of nice if um seeing this movie made over a hundred million dollars in theaters alone. If I got paid like somebody that was in a movie that made over a hundred million dollars <laughs> in theaters alone. And Bob oh, Shea yeah. said, you're disposable. Um, he's like, look, we tried yeah. to replace Robert Englund on a nightmare in Elm street too. Like you don't need Alex. So, <laughs> you ain't shit. Devin Sawa. So, and we love Devin Sawa and would love to have him on the show to talk this movie or really anything like if Devin Sawa wants to come on and talk, like, here's my favorite bread recipe, <laughs> that would be delightful. He's got a um, new-ish movie. So yeah, so um, Hunter, Hunter. Hunter, yeah, Hunter. I, I, mm-hmm. I reviewed that one. So, oh. so did you give it a good review, Brian? I did give it a good review. So, oh. Devin Sawa, we are fans of you on this show. <laughs> yeah. I but, think it's so cruel how they wrote I him think, off I in the movie, I too. Barely, he, he's yeah, they're the just like, he died. He died yeah, with a brick. The brick actually. He got hit by a brick. Yeah, that's the end of that. It's just like a newspaper article. They're like, "Oh yeah, he died, brick. Right. <laughs> he died by brick. Death by brick. <laughs> Death by brick is my new emo band name. All right, yeah, de- <laughs> yeah he died by brick, and clear um, commits herself. So I guess they had to say that like it was because of Alex's death. Because if it was what's his mm-hmm. name's death that happens when they're in Paris, I mean, mm-hmm. she got herself on a plane back home. And then went straight to psych ward. Like, you know, what happened to no, Clear in between? Because Alex yeah. doesn't die right away after Paris. Yeah. Like, in the article it says, I did pause the screen, that he <laughs> had not he had not left his home in like three months. And then like the minute he walked out the door, like he basically 
that thing he does in the first movie where he puts like he has like pork board over all the sharp objects but then has like an oil lamp like he did that for three months but then the second he walks out the door like doop to doop like he's hit by a falling brick like i'm sure that's 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 not gonna help with agoraphobia but that's interesting coyote death yeah that is so funny it's like death was just sitting there with a brick waiting (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's ready for you i mean i guess there's so much to that he's like tapping his feet being like soon soon but i guess it also um it kind of debunks a lot of those like oh someone could have died in their sleep thing because Mm -hmm. you know death didn't give him an aneurysm he Mm -hmm. like waited to throw a brick at him right (laughs) (laughs) i do I also love like when the deputies looking at those websites, they have these like super gnarly death pictures up for everyone. They have like yeah. Terry's corpse, like Terry is shaped like a Z after getting hit like oh the bus. God. It's oh so bad. God. So One bad. of the things is like, is death just like extra pissed that um, they screwed up his plan the first time. So he's like, I'm really going to fuck you up. Wouldn't is that you the be? whole thing? Like, wouldn't you be? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think oh that's God. death's design. It's like, because yeah. Brian, you're a teacher, right? Like you teach. Right. Okay. So yeah. when a student, like, when let's say it's the end of the term, and <laughs> you're you, going to get me in trouble, Mike. Okay, it's okay. No, I, no, go, go for it, go for it. So it's the end of the term, and like administration is on you to get grades in, get grades in, get grades in, but also don't fail, kids. Let them turn in <laughs> stuff late, which is awesome. I mean, which is like you know. Definitely you can serve both of those masters. When right. the kid who you've been hounding to turn in their work finally turns in like that last assignment, don't you like, you're like, I'll show you the little fucker. Like you definitely like- <laughs> you throw a brick at him. <laughs> definitely. You know, I, I teach kindergarten through third graders. So, you know- Yeah, and he throws so bricks like, at them my, for my, missing my their independent is, study is projects. Is, limitless yeah I'll, I'll share a brick throwing story that didn't really quite throw a brick but like i did my internship for school counseling at my town's um junior senior high school and there are some kids there that you know they're not the best kids they're like kind of assholes um like seventh graders are sometimes the worst so last halloween my daughter and i were trick-or-treating in this really cool neighborhood and this kid like scared my daughter and I'm, and she jumped and I'm like, haha, very funny. Everyone's entitled to one good scare, Sheriff Brackett. We agree. He tried to do it again. And I like put myself in between her and him and he kept trying to go around me. So and what? Her again. Uh, so I, at that point, like grabbed him and forcibly moved him. I'm like, I'm going to let you know right now. I know you're in eighth grade. I counseled you last year. If you try to scare my daughter again, I will lay you out in the street. And he was like, uh, and he just ran away at that point. And then he threw a brick at him. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Massachusetts I I will lay you out. I I do not mess around when it comes. Because like one scare is fine. It's Halloween. That's totally cool. But when you like stalk my kid and I'm right there, um, like I would have hit this kid with a brick. It's called my left hand. Um, so, um, like I was not gonna take it like so every now and then my wife is like hey like you know the district is hiring like a school counselor here you could work in our district and I'm like nope 
not going to do it. I was spent a year with those kids and they can go to hell. Um, oh, okay. Some of them can. Some of them are really oh nice. So. Well, well, yeah. well, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so you're, that's your, mouth. that is my counseling tip of the day. So I'm sorry. This is a tangent. Um, no. But again, like I just, I did not want to see that happen. You know, just come on. It's so funny though. Uh, just re- revolving it back, just thinking like about how angry they were at Sawa potentially for asking for more money mm-hmm. that they just gave him this death. They didn't right. even like ask him to come back to like die. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. like, oh, "No, we really don't need you." And actually, this is Final Destination, but you're gonna get the worst death in the series. <laughs> <They didn't laughs> Completely even, undignified. They didn't even have a body double where. Um, like it's someone like you know acts like they're sawa and then like the brick hits him in the face it's like he gets like the montage newspaper article death like that's mm-hmm. how little they thought of him yeah and i just back to like throwing bricks imagine just tony todd just standing there waiting above like with a brick <laughs> i'm picturing like not <laughs> tony todd might be funnier but i'm almost picturing some like like a go- like I'm picturing like a like a an image real like a ghost of some kind just like tapping his foot but it's like this like cartoony ghost foot like like oh a boy. like a grim reaper <laughs> yeah yeah what like did? I'm picturing like a grim reaper is like long black robe like rustling as he taps his feet like God this guy's gotta leave eventually he's done the only thing that thwarts me stayed inside a home with a gasoline kerosene lamp I'm gonna <laughs> get you a death that's so plain. <laughs> Do you think Alex, do you think like Alex's parents like made him leave or you're like, all right, dude, enough is enough. Like you have to go to the shop and like, um, cause I have worked with people that agor that are agoraphobic where like their room comes their safe space and we have done treatment plans or it's like, you're going to go to like the Dunkin' Donuts drive through. And then after you do that three times, like you're going to go into a fast food place and order a burger and then after you do that five times, like you're going to have a sit down meal somewhere. I wonder if like his parents are like enough is enough. You're getting therapy and like on his way to do his treatment plan to get like a cup of coffee that killed him. It got I'm dark. It got dark. Very dark. Like, yeah, someone was like, we're going to do some like DBT with you. And you just have the first thing you're going to do is take one step outside mm-hmm. the house. <laughs> Then death was like, finally. (laughs) 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 He didn't even like mess with him. You know what I mean? He didn't even like get, let him get like a couple feet out and like be like, oh, I feel good. Like invisible man style. It was just like, no. Oh man. Getting smoked by a brick. (laughs) (laughs) See what we think about you and that pay raise. (laughs) Yeah. Oh Now go make that oh god go make the fanatic um what do, we, what do we think of the um addition to the lore that all of the characters from this movie were somehow like tied to in even the most tangential ways the characters that um survived flight or tied to flight 180 somehow yeah because that never comes back <laughs> it never does um, no, well, I guess much. kind of in I guess kind of in the last one it does come back, but yeah, if you want to count that, but like yeah, that's interesting because like I know that I made 
a joke in three and how they just like exposition bomb for like a minute and they're like this is what happened in the previous movies but this is its own movie like it is interesting watching two then first now that I think about it where I'd like I had no recollection of this flight and I was just like okay I guess it connects to one somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> right so I thought that was interesting but maybe a little bit too much doesn't the number 180 become a regular part of all the premonitions though in all of the films as they go along there's like, you know, next thing, 180 feet. I know that's on the sign in this one. Yeah. Cause, that's and, cute. And I, and I remember there, there's lots of sort of like, uh, like um, the, the clocks or something like that will all of a sudden glitch out and show mm-hmm. 180 or something like that in, in some of the later movies. Um, so they try and sort of loosely tie it back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I will. Some of the later ones. I will say for our patrons, uh, we have a new segment for you folks where I go back and some of the things we don't get to in the actual episode, I go back and record like a 10 little bit little spiel on them. And one of the things was the original name of Final Destination was Flight 180. And that shot that took like it, they have the alarm clock that then dissolves to like the call numbers for the sign for the flight in the first movie. Um, that took them five days to get right when the movie was named flight 180 and then they're like, fuck it. We're going to call it final destination too. So that was a waste of five days. I think (laughs) only in Patreon folks, give us your money. Okay. um, I want to talk Timmy's death because I love this death. So Timmy is Timmy is he originally was written was seven years old. That makes it make so much more sense. Mm-hmm. That makes it sadder. <laughs> it makes it it makes it sadder, but the movie, the way it exists in the movie now, it's like the thirteen year old kid chasing after the pigeons. It's just like, what? <laughs> I I, okay, don't thirteen year olds do that shit? I know this because oh. I did that shit. <laughs> He's sixteen. He's sixteen in the movie. Okay, like well, thirteen right. was the compromise. Um, but it's not just that like he does it. He's not even aware of them until like Kimberly yells, the pigeons. Okay, because Kimberly is the worst. Kimberly is like secretly a sociopath that wants everyone to die so she can feel something. Um, but like he goes, the pigeons. It's like, oh yeah, they're a pig. He gets this weird look on his face and then runs after them. Like it's great. That's what I love about it. He's like flying rats, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do I, love the lead up though, the whole dentist yes. office thing, you know, being because it really does set up this sense of suspense because we are familiar with the Rube Goldberg situation from the first movie and then the first death in this, the first major death in this movie, I should say, um, where, you know, the guy throws the spaghetti out the window and the whole uh, lottery winner. His, mm-hmm. his situation. So we're thinking that's what's going to happen. You know, he's going to get wasted uh from the dentist somehow or the pigeons flying in through the window um and i don't know the, the suspense of that i think is really fun and then to have his death just be like <clears throat> crack out of nowhere so, kind of awesome. there is so much going on like mom always almost buys it when the yeah. um fish tank leaks and then mm-hmm. like the she almost gets electrocuted and yeah. then like the little um rubber fish like going into his mouth um and the dentist again like nobody likes going to the dentist right uh i do you do 
I love the dentist. It's like Tell a spa me. day for my mouth. Okay. Oh my God. Tell me, Tell me about, because this is the most bizarre thing I've heard in 98 episodes of doing this show. <laughs> tell me tell me no judgment like there's no judging here but like tell me about your love affair with a dentist why why Um, I think I just had a really good dental hygienist for a while and Mm -hmm. because I got I had I switched recently and I didn't like my new one as much but my old one I used to go and it just felt nice but on top of it all I have a lot of issues with my mouth and mm-hmm. so I like to take care of it. I actually have a baby tooth still, which Lindsay knows because I do know about your baby <laughs> tooth. But um, the story really? is, is that, yeah, I do. Um, Cause there's no adult tooth under it. And they had to shave it down. And this old dentist I had shaved it down incorrectly, but the current dentist I have, they fixed it. Basically my, I could have like lost the tooth but they saved it and because I do still have a baby tooth I like to take care of my teeth and Mm -hmm. I also just like going to the dentist I don't know I'm weird but if it's the orthodontist then that's a whole other thing (laughs) I'm like uh no (laughs) I'm crazy and I like love the orthodontist like they're like Lindsay we've done enough and I'm like one more round man just do one more quick round Oh, the orthodontist hated me because I never did the rubber bands on my braces and I refused Mm. to do it and at one point they were just like you can't have braces forever. We have to take these out. <laughs> and I was they like, okay. Made you, they made you take off the braces? Like you weren't like, take these off? Um, I, no, they actually, they strict rubber banded me for like mm-hmm. a month. They were like, you have to do the rubber bands. They have to come off. And my oh. mom and my parents were mad at me. <laughs> oh no. But I think that I likely, it, my teeth aren't as straight as they probably should have been after mm-hmm. the amount my parents paid for because I was shitty. <laughs> Listen, it's not a fun thing. Listen, rubber bands in your mouth are not fun at all. No, hurts. We are learning some things tonight, folks. This but is... the dentist is lovely. <laughs> I love, I'm loving the spa day for my mouth. I love that. This is probably, as we like to think, this is a spa day for your ears, but spa yeah. day for your mouth is fantastic. Um, I don't I even know. Podcast, a spa day for your ears. I, I don't even know where to go from here at this point. I feel like I, I don't. Let's talk about Timmy's ultimate demise. Okay. Oh, one yeah, of the best in the series. Because Timmy has his weird, Timmy's, yeah. You know what? Go nuts. I'll Timmy's, step back for this one. All right. Well, first, Timmy's relationship with his mom is a little bizarre, right? It's mm-hmm. a little bit... Um, you know, it's a little bit too clingy at that age, I would say. Like, she's tucking her teenage son into bed and giving him his meds and r- rubbing his hair. And But at the same time, she's cool with him smoking, apparently. like <laughs> You can tell very... if it was, like, written for a 7, then 13. They're like, right. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the 7-year-old smoked. I don't know. Like, no, they were like, I don't know. He's 13, he smokes. He's 7, his mom tucks him in, whatever. <laughs> It was so like it was a little bit uncomfortable um to watch that um but like when he like and that was a practical effect and i guess they built like two life casts and the first one um it didn't really work like the legs were still sticking up after the glass fell on it um so they got it right the second time but my favorite thing about his death is when Kimberly and the cop are like discussing the aftermath of it in the background, 
you see the EMTs like loading the gurdy of like the liquefied goo that was in these <laughs> remains <laughs> and the mom sobbing. So just like, I mean, like, did, did they get like one of those <laughs> squeegees in a bucket and just like mop them into it and then dump it on the gurdy? Like, what were they expecting when they loaded it into the back of the ambulance? Like, you know, like he, he maybe we can bring. I him feel back. like for like months to come, I'm gonna be re-listening. I'm gonna be re-listening to the way you just giggled through liquefied goo. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I, I didn't. I never really considered the fact that there was an ambulance. <laughs> That's where the comedy comes in for this movie. Like that is a very deliberate choice. Like we're gonna I have mean, mom is it a deliberate Holland. comedy choice. I don't it know. It has to be. It has to be. That... I do think that Final Destination does know it's funny. I mm-hmm. they have to know it's funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to know because there's nothing else in this movie that suggests to me that they're doing like knowing camp. Wait, the, very the, the oh, ending? The ending. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. The, the, the ending, the yeah. Oh, you're right, I retract. You're the so baby right. killing. The, the baby <laughs> killing to me, to me, I love the flying fence death, you know, and the, the right. barbed wire cutting him into four pieces or whatever. Come on. Yeah, the ending is truly absurd. It's, it's we definitely, we'll, we'll end, we'll definitely, I mean, yeah, it, that to me is like, um, and all right, let's talk the ending really because we can always backtrack here. I thought it was really fucked up that these two people go back to have a picnic lunch with these two strangers. <laughs> yeah, it's like five people. Like, died like the scene, <laughs> the scene where there was like two horrific deaths. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh like, yeah, all my friends died, but uh, let's have a barbecue. Let's, let's grab a sando and like, just hang know, out outside. It's like you know what I like. And they have to do? shish kebabs. All right, let's right. have ribs. Let's have some ribs. You know, I mean, let's eat meat. <laughs> so, do you do you take the ending of the movie like when that kid gets blown up, which is awesome, and the arm lands right in front of the mom, and it's like, <laughs> so good. You know, it's the shameless kid, right? Is it? Yes. Okay. I thought it was like I think it's Caleb Smith, like the dude from. Um, not excision it's brandon cronenberg's first movie and i cannot think of the name of it now uh and he's also in um oh god the um last exorcism but it is not him i'm completely wrong um i don't know like do you think that starts like a new cycle of death or is kimberly and the other dude like still screwed Oh, everyone's screwed. I think that's yeah. the point of the series is that mm-hmm. no one, no one escapes death. It, mm-hmm. Like you'll even, <laughs> at the very least, you'll get a brick thrown at you. But like, I mean, the third one is probably the most ruthless. Mm-hmm. The, first yeah. most ruthless. Ah. the first one were like, definitely people didn't survive. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess, spoiler for the next one, I am so sorry, people. The third yeah. one is, that ending is mean. That ending is so mean. Um, well, my theory I want to say my theory, and maybe you can save it for the next episode, but my theory is that she is stuck in that loop. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's so even she's scarier. Gonna, so she's going to get out, and then, like, it's going to happen over and over again? Oh, yeah, because she has a premonition, and then she dies, but, like, I don't know. It's, like, oh, it's just, like, looping over and over again because that's she even... didn't save herself. 
Oh my god, that's even scarier. <laughs> so it's like the end of Krampus when they're in the snow globe and it's yeah. forever. Oh, <laughs> coming next man. week. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I, I haven't oh. seen Krampus yet. I don't think that'll spoil anything for you. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Well, I, I have it on hold at the library. I'm picking it up tomorrow. So Ooh, as, oh, as wow. As so <laughs> soon as vacation starts, I'm watching some some snowbound horror. So. Perfect. Enjoy. Very good. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm um, sure I will. Yeah, I just, I can't imagine going back there for a picnic. Like, right on the, <laughs> no, right no. On the spot where I saw a man, like, trisected. After he... <laughs> After he, like, in a really, probably one of the few, like, really, like, serious moments of the movie where he's like, here are my keys to my apartment. Here's my wallet. Can you please, like, get the porn, the drugs, all the bad stuff out so when my mom has to go through it, like, she won't be, she'll be, won't be disappointed in me. Like, that is, like, such a gut-wrenching moment in the middle of this really kind of, like, I find darkly funny movie um and then he gets this like totally bizarre weird kind of crowd-pleasing death like it's if i can imagine being in a theater and like having 300 people cheer when that dude it's it's like that resident evil death when they're all in the hallway basically like it's fucked up really really bizarre yeah that it's really fucked up that they did go back Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially yeah thinking about that i never really like because it's a silly movie and i guess i never thought about like oh in real life like no way would these people invite Mm -hmm. like these these like young adults who got massacred back to their farm where now they're having trauma because they remember Mm -hmm. this every day but i guess the idea is like shared trauma people come back <laughs> uh, i don't know man get a group therapy at that point like don't don't have like don't a, have barbecues no don't have a picnic that's just that's just not it's not right it's really <laughs> uh, it actually feels kind of profane like the more and more i think about it um speaking of profane all right tony todd returns in this movie <laughs> <laughs> and he's like more kind of like wacky like you know how you would have these like 70s sitcoms and you would have like guest star of the week and it'd be like he's like charles nelson riley in this segment like he's got like he even ends almost like freezes on him with this big smile on his face like waka, you know like all i'm that's i'm really like waiting for him to just say like waka waka he's like pulling out nipple rings oh my gosh yeah you know like he's living his best life mm-hmm. yeah. what is what is his point in this in the whole scheme of things i'm confused this time around yeah know. so I'm, I'm double checking to make sure this is the one where they basically break into his place of work right that's yeah. the second one the second one first one is when he breaks in the oh okay second, the second one they just kind of like the door is open they walk in and he's almost like expecting them that's right that's right yeah it's mm, i think this is where in the series they decided because i don't know if they knew what they were doing with him in the first one they just had Mm -hmm. him as like an exposition dump Mm -hmm. but i think with this one they were trying to finally be like oh well maybe he actually is the one and then i think later they kind of try to cement that more but this is like the leading way Mm -hmm. where they're like 
Oh, he's not just the exposition exposition dump. He might actually be an, like an awful like person who like is related to death in some way. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Death, death's personification when he chooses to have one. Yeah. Because he's kind of doesn't really ever help them out, does he? No, he just fucks no. with them every time. <laughs> he's like, oh, I've seen this before. Right. You guys are all screwed. And if you're a guy that like your business is you're a mortician, would you want to help someone not die? Isn't that going to hurt your business? Like your business is like, I got to keep that death rate up. Like, why would I help you? Oh my God, that's dark. <laughs> I, yeah, I still am undecided because I remember when we were like first making our way through these and everyone was like, so there's a lot of theories on whether or not he's death. And I like brushed that off, like theories about Final Destinations, mm-hmm. you know, Bloodworth, like whatever. But then I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know. And now I have all these theories about whether or not he's death. Like, I don't what, know that he's, what, I don't think he's death. What do you think he is then? Where do you come uh, down, Lindsay? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's human. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he's like some sort of like demon. Maybe mm-hmm. he's the like, maybe he's like the guy who is providing the premonitions because he's like messing with humans. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's the one that threw the brick. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't want to. Death, like I don't think he's death. I think death was like Bloodworth. You're gonna kill this bitch with a brick, and he'd just been like sitting there. Or he was like Bloodworth. Your job is to kill this guy, but you can't go in his house because it's against the rules. And Bloodworth had like all of these things planned, but after like three months, just got so bored that he just like chucked a brick. <laughs> and that's why he's so weird and too. <laughs> yeah, he's like, do you know how much time I spent sitting out of this guy's outside this guy's house, thinking of all these elaborate ways to kill him? But he had corkboard, and I couldn't get it done. Was he like, oh my god, they they know about Alex? Like they was like, I got to keep it cool, man. I got to play it cool. <laughs> They're gonna yeah. ask. They're gonna ask, and uh, oh. yeah, so you have to play it cool. Yeah, my- that's that's it. That's the definitive oh. theory. And again, I think, I think the writers put him in, and maybe I am just assuming things, but they probably just like wanted him there because of Candyman, and they were like, mm. "Oh, this would be really cool if we had him show up in our movies." And then they just didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, that makes more like sense. By the third third one, he's, it's it's just his narration, isn't it? He's he's the voice of the of the demon ride. Yeah, oh. he's the voice of the ride. Mm-hmm. He's not even in it. Yeah. Oh, he has That's... a side hustle. Yeah, right. <laughs> he has a side yeah. hustle as a voiceover artist. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And then he comes four. back, but then right. he's in five, and I think he's coming back for the. I know, like, there's a new one in production now, so I think he is coming back for that one. Like, you can make these movies forever, um, and we haven't even talked about. We'll talk in a few weeks about the bizarre decisions for time to name. The fifth movie, the final destination, which well, is the fourth one. The fourth one is the final destination. No, no, no. I'm not five. saying the final destination. I'm saying the fifth movie. Listen oh. closely. Was named the final destination. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. I hate it. Now, <laughs> Fast and the Furious would never. No. When I was typing my notes, I had written like I had mistyped that I wrote the funnel destination. And that is actually a fairly like as in like F U N. And that's you know they are fun. These movies are like it's like scream where the S is written as a five. Yeah. Five cream. Oh, you could do that for three because of the beginning, like funnel cake. 
the funnel destination. So, you know, I'd be, I don't know. I just don't know. I really don't. Okay. Um, what am I missing here? Is there anything about this movie that we haven't touched on that it's urgent? It feels exhausted to me. Anyone else? Um, I know that Lindsay, this is not your favorite one, but I do think this one, it's weird that this director did the fourth one in the franchise to me, because I think that two is well, I mean, all of them are, but <laughs> I think two is so much better than four mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that it like, it really surprises me because for the longest time I couldn't decide which two or three was better. Now I appreciate one a little bit more. I just used to think it was more boring because I had watched it like last after two and three. But um, yeah, I think it's just so much fun yeah. and tongue in cheek. They have to know that it's funny. I, I mean, I'll just reiterate it. They had to have known what they had yeah. on them and that it's you, stupid. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have um, a guy's severed arm fall in front of his mom's <laughs> plate. <laughs> And not, and you can't again. You, you cannot know. have the liquid, the liquefied remains of a sixteen-year-old <laughs> shoveled died. into a stretcher. They shoveled his oh liquid, liquefied goo he into died. a body bag. He died chasing pigeons. <laughs> oh, it would have been funny if there was like someone in the background just like hosing it down. Oh. Oh my God, he died chasing pigeons. It's the best. It's so, <laughs> you have to know at that point that you're making like, yeah, I mean, Tony Top is ripping out nipple rings. Like it's a night. I mean, it's at studio. least all conceited. I mean, it's... It's, it's at least messing with us. Like they mm-hmm. do mess with us. The whole dentist thing was quite obviously messing with us. Mm-hmm. I really, I really wish this had been done to after uh, Finding Nemo because that dentist. Oh, is... yes. <laughs> It's like mm-hmm. it's like what actually was happening in mm-hmm. the dentist office when the fish were escaping. Yes, <laughs> they. I guess um, they said for the dentist scene, it was originally going to be written like you were going to be like walking down the hallway and you would hear other dentist office and people would be like screaming in pain, and then they realized that eh, that's a little bit too much. And the only other thing I'll say about the dentist scene. I look at the dude who played him and I'm like, man, I really wish like Ray Wise was the dentist in this movie. Oh gosh. Yeah. Partly because I think Ray oh Wise gosh. should just be in everything because he he's just be in every movie. Right? Yeah. Like I would like, you know, if you could remake Jaws, I don't think you should do that. But if Ray Wise is the shark, <laughs> maybe I'm in. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Oh my God. Shark. <laughs> you know, just saying, just saying, I think he could pull it off. Okay. Here is, okay, so we got one question. I, I always forget to post, hey, ask us questions, listeners, because we love that. And then I post way too late. But we did get one, even though I posted way too late. So here it is. I am now scrolling down to find it. So we do want listener feedback. We really appreciate it. I'll try to do a better job of this. So the Miggy Mac, at the Miggy Mac on Twitter, asked us, why do you think death goes Rube Goldberg on the survivors instead of a more direct kill approach? I think it just fucks with them more. I think it's more of a, uh, it's his revenge because you screwed up the original design. So I'm going to make a mini design just for you mm-hmm. to really mess with you before you finally just take it out. Okay. Uh, I think it's because death is actually Jigsaw. 
if we t- if we go by uh, <laughs> okay i'm listening i'm listening if we go by canon of saw it takes place like in the 90s somewhere because there's no technology in those movies that's up to date so it has to take place in the 90s um jigsaw dies in the 90s and then final destination kind of you know it it starts in the late 90s so i think jigsaw Mm. died and then he was like you know what death is great i'm gonna start making traps for everyone and i'm gonna give premonitions just to fuck with people (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's my favorite theory that's the best theory of anything yeah yeah that's amazing if you could remake Jaws, but instead of Ray Wise, have Jaws be like a shark that lays traps for people, then and that shark is played by Tobin Bell, then maybe I'm in. Lindsay, what is your theory? Oh no! <laughs> well, how, how do you, you follow go ahead that? And top that, yeah. How do you follow that? Why does death mess with them? Um, yeah, just like for fun is is my theory. I don't know. I think it's just, it looks more fun on screen. If all of them could mm-hmm. just like die in their sleep, it would be a pretty boring movie. So they were like, no, death is this like silly, bizarre hunter that kind of lets them kind of, maybe my view is a little too macro that I'm looking at it and how it was a writing choice and a filmmaking choice. But I think it's just that it's more fun. It's more exciting if death gets to be the slasher villain. And I think death is having a lot of fun with these characters. Mm-hmm. And you know, that. you see that in, in the inspiration from this series being with a nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie is very much a playing with his food kind of character, you know? Yes. Uh, and so this is an extension of that on sort of the, you know, you have no personification like you do with Freddie. So, I mean, basically, Death can do just about anything it wants with whatever is available. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I-, I agree. I like your theory, Lindsay, because I think maybe death gets bored. Yeah. Death probably figures like, I'm going to win in the end, no matter what. Like I could either, you know, they could die from like high blood pressure or cholesterol, or, you know, I could do these really fun, you know, traps. And I think it's like to keep itself entertained. I think that's as good a theory as any. I like it. Yeah, there you go. So... That is our discussion on Final Destination 2. We hope that you have enjoyed it. I think this is a really fun movie to talk about. Um, I, you know, I, and again, I love this series. Um, and I am really excited to go rewatch three after this because I know a lot of folks like really love this movie and I enjoy it. And I think it's going to move up in my estimation just based on, on how much fun the first two have been to watch. So Mike, uh, so Jenny, tell us a little bit about the um, Austin Asian American Film Festival. Right, yeah, so we are the, we do, we showcase Asian and Asian American cinema. Um, it's about 50-50 right now, but we hope that in the future it could swing more Asian American and have more Asian American programming because mm-hmm. we really support a lot of Asian American filmmakers, specifically Texas native ones. Mm-hmm. And specifically, if we want to go deeper, we really try to work with the Asian American filmmaking community in Austin, um, obviously, because we're there and it's accessible to us. Um, I've been with the festival. That's kind of a weird, it's a long story. I interned at the Asian Film Festival in Dallas when I was in college and the Austin Asian American Film Festival had long been gone. And then 
the Dallas one, when I lived in Austin after school, wanted to open up a branch in Austin. And then we all got together where I was like the intern from the festival that wanted to make this a sister festival with all the people that used to work with it, plus some others. And then we all decided, "Mm, we don't want to be a part of the Asian Film Festival of Dallas. (laughs) And you rebelled, you seceded? (laughs) Well, I mean, we're, we're connected with them still, but we were, we decided that we wanted to be our own entity because the Asian Film Festival in Dallas really focused on East, on East Asian cinema, mainly because of Welgo being in Dallas. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was like a huge connection with theirs. And we were like, well, we kind of want to do like both. And I started in programming. And then a couple years ago, I got up to director of programming when the when my like muse and like uh, like left he his name is Anand he was amazing um Mm -hmm. and taught me a lot and yeah we're a nonprofit organization um and we show Asian and Asian American film (laughs) how how have you adapted with the pandemic like do you plan on trying to do a live festival in 2021 or things far enough away where you can even look at that? Or is it going to be like online programming like some festivals have moved towards? So we are in a really tough place because basically I was planning for a in-person festival because we ours is in June. And then in March, everything hit and it was not enough time to do what a lot of festivals last year did, mm-hmm. which was put their entire program online because a, a lot of our filmmakers are not like, like we don't have these giant filmmakers. We support a lot of like independent, really, really smaller filmmakers and hoping that they have like a place to show their film mm-hmm. and just kind of get word out about their movies. Um, so I didn't want to put their features online for fear of piracy and because a lot of programs weren't really like a lot of like fest. It was just tough to convince these filmmakers who are looking for distribution to do that. So we did a lot of short films. And mm-hmm. then we did a few digital stuff at the end of this year. We did a LGBTQ Taiwanese film mm. showcase. That was really cool. And then we also did a drive-in film um, with, uh, I don't know if you've heard the movie Gook, but we did a drive-in of that film um, to kind of like close out the year. And next mm-hmm. year we kind of plan on doing currently, we're doing it in June. We're gonna do like a three, we're gonna do like a four week like digital festival and kind mm-hmm. of stagger our films. And then also at the same time have drive-in movies of our like opening and closing and hopefully centerpiece films. So we're gonna try to do a little bit of both. It's hard because Austin actually doesn't have drive-ins. I was gonna ask like, what is the drive-in scene? Like are there actual drive-ins or I know a lot of places have done like pop-up drive-ins like small businesses. Yeah, so there's a lot of blow-up screens in Austin. like the like kind of like I guess what you're kind of talking about is the pop-up ones uh we did that for gook I mm-hmm. actually as a programmer I don't necessarily prefer that uh I think that it was fine for the situation that we were doing in for our film this year but I I like the real drive-ins like mm-hmm. where you can project a movie really well and crisp and clean and those are actually all outside Austin so there's a couple so because we're nonprofit, it's really funky with our grant stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you'd think because Texas does have a lot of drive-ins that it would be accessible. Like Fort Worth has one, but not Austin. <laughs> when you say it's funky because of grants, is it because you're called the Austin 
because Austin is actually in the name, like it's have to be within so many miles of the city limits, or it has to be within city limits in order for you to like be able to spend funds on that grant, or am I like way off base? That's uh, close. So for some grants, we have to like, it has to be in the city limits because we're mm -hmm. getting an Austin city like grant. Mm -hmm. And so we would just have to spend certain monies. We'd have to like basically like do fundraising for these like drive-ins outside of Austin that are like in Buda, which is like a town over. Um, so it's, mm -hmm. it's finicky like that because grants are tough. And like, obviously if it wasn't a pandemic, there are thousands of theaters in Austin we could show our films at. And we usually right. show our films at Austin Film Society's theater, uh, mm -hmm. which Richard Linklater is attached to. Mm -hmm. um, they also have a virtual cinema right now. Mm -hmm. They're really, really awesome. We do a lot of stuff with them. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's tough being a nonprofit film festival, well, I will say. And I wonder too, like I, I know that like Austin in better times like has like a thriving film community, not just of like theaters, but also filmmakers. Uh, and there's always a number of projects that go on. And there's also like, there's like Mondo Fest and Fantastic Fest and Butnumathon. How hard is it to compete for eyeballs, especially when there's like a niche film festival? Um, how hard is it to kind of compete with eyeballs? And is it like a competition or do you find that like there are larger events that don't mind like partnering up and like boosting visibility to um, other organizations? Or is it like, nope, this is our slice of the pie and like we don't want anyone else getting involved in it? That's uh, an interesting question. Um, there are so many festivals. It is not easy to have one in Austin because mm -hmm. you are kind of, uh, not everyone can go to every festival and because who has the money? But what we do, I mean, Fantastic Fest and like the Alamo crowd, we do stuff with Alamo. Um, mm -hmm. And actually one of our directors works at Alamo, uh, who's also my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, they're not our crowd. Ours is either the kind of the AFS crowd, which is more art cinema. Like we show mm -hmm. a lot of like a lot of the Asian films that we bring over from South Asia, Southeast and East Asia. We try to, and we also like dip into the Middle East too. Like we show a lot of Iranian films, mm. um, but it's a lot of art stuff, I will say <laughs> for that stuff. But then the Asian American stuff, it's more Asian American community or community-based. So we actually pair and partner with a lot of the community-based festivals in Austin, which actually, I think a lot of cities have these, but they don't necessarily look into them. Like we'll, like we'll partner with the like Hispanic film festival mm -hmm. or like um we've partnered with i'm trying to forget and i'm so awful uh now i can't even remember the film festivals in austin mm -hmm. <laughs> that there are so many different ones like we've we partner with the black film festival as well or like we'll partner with the austin asian american resource center and a lot of nonprofit groups and outreach versus like trying to dip our toes into something like fantastic fest who does show asian east asian cinema but they show and this isn't a bad thing i love fantastic fest it's actually the reason why i got an internship at the asian film festival of dallas um but they show a lot of like stuff that you'd expect i think out of east asia when they mm -hmm. show films or even like south asia um which they've recently started showing a lot more from because they have um a good programmer that works on that but it's yeah it's like the typical stuff we try to like 
go atypical. Like if we show a genre film, we try to show one that is not going to be obviously at Fantastic Fest because it'll have already shown in Austin, but it is something that is more, no, I don't want to like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm such a jerk. I don't want to say the word, use the word challenging, but that isn't like a Hong Kong action film. Would it be fair to say that it's like more of a deeper cut, like something that if you see it at Fantastic Fest, there's a really good chance within 90 days, everyone's going to be able to see it somehow where the movies you might be showing are like, it might take longer before they get picked up or that there might be a little bit less eyeballs on them and you might have to like really seek it out. Yeah, that, that's a good way to say it. Um, I would, I would even go further and just say like, we just try not to. So the thing with Asian cinema, which I say as a white person, so I am, I'm white, uh, but like a lot of Asian cinema that gets to white people is a certain kind of cinema and like like example like hong kong action films like like that's a huge like trend in like white consumerism mm-hmm. and we try to stay away from that and yeah deeper cuts i think like stuff that's more like like culturally significant to it but also it's different like it won't attract like the the kind of like um like the fantastic fest like kind of white fanboy culture mm-hmm. like we try to stay away from that because there's already someone who's like appealing to that in Austin. Right, right. Well, uh, and, this, this, and this is like no diss on any of this. This is just me no. trying to. <laughs> no, it's, it's just how you're differ- differentiating yourself from that because why compete in the same space? Like you have to set yourself apart. Totally understand. I don't think that's a diss. Yeah, because um, like Alamo will show those films all the time and fill rooms. We yeah. don't need to show them. <laughs> There's not going to be a headline like, Austin Asian Film American Film Fest tells Fantastic Fest fans fuck off. Like that's <laughs> not gonna be that's not gonna be the takeaway here. Um, As someone who has been going since 2008 to Fantastic mm-hmm. Fest, I would never. <laughs> um, so I want to say it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and we would love to have you on again. So please, like, where what are your socials? How can folks keep up with you and your writing for the Austin Chronicle? Like, where do folks find you? Um, I have an author page at the Austin Chronicle. I also do some video work for Certified Forgotten, and there's one in the works. So uh, that is coming up. Um, I um, can be found on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, basically any social media platform with Jenny Lee X33, and it's J-E-N-N-Y-L-E-I-G-H X33. Like, it's my my brand. It's been my brand since I was, like, in high school. Well, please come back. We would love to have you on again. So, Brian, how is your column going for Bloody Disgusting? What are we looking forward to from you? Oh, well, um, it's uh, the column's called Gods and Monsters. It's about uh, classic horror. And uh, I started out um, sort of looking at the very beginning and touching and but focusing on Phantom of the Opera, the 20, 1925 Universal film. I did one on The Innocents about uh, just when the whole Bly Manor thing was was really popular. Um, and then I've got sort of a holiday-ish one that should mm. be hitting any day. Uh, it's uh, 1945's Dead of Night uh, is going to be looked at. Um, and I just, I actually have, besides the column, I continue to be able to write other things for them too, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, since June, I've had, I think, 14 or 15 articles there so it's been nice. uh, it's been pretty cool you know i'm uh i'm really enjoying that and 
continuing to write for uh, Ghastly Grinning uh, when Ryan has <laughs> emailed me and asked me if I want to review something. I mm -hmm. pretty much always say yes uh, <laughs> and really enjoy doing that. And um, also uh, Manor Vellum. And I've got something, a double feature from 1984 of uh, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Gremlins. Um, that uh, is a lot of fun. That should be coming by the time this uh, episode airs. That that's a pairing. Yeah, that's it definitely is. a that's a choice. Definitely, the really, right really, the only reason is because they're from the same year. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I w my very first article for for Manor was um, a look at 1984 and um, just sort of a trend of what happened with slasher movies that year. And so I decided to revisit sort of that idea, and and I just grabbed a double feature of the two, I guess, Christmas films <laughs> that came out in 1984, um, and just well, I I focus more on the controversy surrounding Silent Night, Deadly Night. I am old enough to remember that controversy firsthand, yeah. sadly yeah. enough. I um, actually find I actually find the controversy more interesting than the movie itself. It is much honest. more interesting than the movie. Um, yeah, um, I actually, if I if I'm being honest, I kind of like watching part two more, which is so bizarre because it's mostly just a retread of the first movie. Yes, um, but something about it is less mean. It's a, it's a little bit more fun of a movie to watch. We have, I know, for Gremlins, my other show. We have like as our comfort horror episode oh, coming out on uh, Christmas Eve, so later oh. the week after this episode drops. I adore. We have Dan McCaffrey from Halloweenies and the Losers Club, um, and it's an interesting discussion. I one of our co-hosts talks about some of the more problematic aspects of the movie. Um, and there are some, <laughs> and there definitely are some, and how you can still enjoy movies. And respect them as classics but you can interrogate those things and it was like a really it was a really fun talk so yeah i gotta yeah, watch but... gremlins again before the season is out yeah yeah um real quick speaking of podcasts i also want to mention real quick uh that uh michelle egan who was a guest on on the uh new nightmare episode mm -hmm. and i have been working on a podcast together. really yeah so we um, are going to be hopefully launching it just the week after Christmas. Um, and it's called Movies for Life. It's not specifically horror, um, though we are going to be touching on some horror movies, of course, because both of us are, have written pretty extensively in that, in that genre. But uh, it's just movies that matter the most to us. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, been, it's been a fun... Uh, thing to get going and we sort of grab a topic and uh, build on that idea so we started with um, just discussing our favorites then we went to our birth year movies and uh, and went from there so it's been it's been a lot of fun to do that and we're hoping to build a little bit of a of an audience and if not hey we're just enjoying um doing the show together uh, i look for forward to checking that out i definitely look forward to is that going to be part of like the bloody disgusting network or because it's oh, not no this is okay. this is just us doing our <laughs> just doing our own thing it's 
it's not a part Excellent. of the network or anything. Uh, it's just uh, something that we're enjoying putting together. We just, you know, Lindsay, I know you're a big Scorsese fan. We just did an epic Scorsese episode. Um, Ooh, couple, I'll be very excited to hear that. Yeah, a couple of movies, uh, our favorite uh, Scorsese movie each. Um, and so, yeah. I guess I'll have to wait for the app till I can uh, find out which one it is. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I probably am a little, a little far ahead to actually reveal what they are. Okay, but. okay, okay. Very spicy. Very good promo. I like yeah, it. Excellent. We'll, we'll definitely be happy to help you promote that. And where can our listeners find you on the socials? Uh, I'm at Brian D. Kuiper on Twitter, and that's really the place you can find me. I tend to post all my writing there mm-hmm. um, and yeah like to have love to have conversations on there with anyone who wants to reach out and chat excellent Lindsay. yes you remain one of the hardest working people in the business <laughs> oh, well maybe i don't know about that but maybe maybe got, this week what have you got going on <laughs> working on a few things uh gosh i'm always in the situation where i'm like coming soon um, I'm working on a couple of things for my pals at Pajiba that I'm excited about that I will uh, be sure to tell you guys about soon. Oh, she dropped that. Um, as soon as I'm unmuted, they all start working. Okay. Um, I don't even know what they heard. Okay. Um, yeah, working on a few things uh, in that space, hoping to get my name on some lists for new comics coming up soon. So hopefully mm-hmm. you'll see some comics reviews, get a little bit back to that because I'm just doing that very much. Um, but nothing too, too exciting. Stay tuned for some words on my favorite movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Very big year that I'm really excited to yap about. Maybe I'll be talking about Wonder Woman, talking about Promising Young Woman more, lots mm-hmm. of woman things in my future. Excellent. So I am excited now because like HBO Max is finally on Roku and we can watch Wonder Woman on Christmas Day as our movie to watch. So I'm pretty excited for that. Um, If you're reviewing comics again, I meant to ask this earlier and held off. What do you think of like the new Batman, like Tim Fox, I guess, taking over? And I don't know if it's an Elseworlds story or... It's like set in the future. But... Yeah. So I think I haven't really read everything. I want to guess that it's probably a black label one-off, mm-hmm. but I could be wrong about that. My guess. So um, it's being written by John Ridley, who you guys know, he wrote 12 years a slave and he's got an interesting history with DC comics. I'm sure his version of it is different than the what you'll see of it. I have like a weird connection to it because I was there when they made a lot of the announcements for his books that never came out. So um, I was always like really curious what happened in between there. But he finally got his Black Label book, The Other History of the DC Universe just started, Mm -hmm. um, which has been a very, very, very long time coming. Um, It was like announced, I want to say like four or five years ago and just like Mm -hmm. never happened. Um, And a lot of his titles were canceled. So it's really exciting that that's starting. So I want to assume that it's a spinoff of that. The other history of the DC universe, again, we don't have a lot of it yet, but it was um, essentially going through the DC universe um, from the Black perspective. Um, So I'm curious how, if those two things will be tied together, 
um, or what, but yeah, so it's kind of exciting to see that he's got a few books coming. I think it's a really interesting idea. A lot of people have worn the cowl before. So mm -hmm. uh, having Lucius Fox's relative do it um, is pretty great. I think it's really cool and fun. Um, it's not something like, you know, they're not changing who Bruce Wayne is. There's been lots of people that have worn Batman's cowl. So mm -hmm. um, it should stand to reason. So I actually exciting and cool i'm pretty excited to see yeah. where it's gonna go and i think john ridley i haven't read the other history of the dc universe yet but i've been excited about it for so long so i, I am i really expect that it's gonna be good my controversial take is i hate when comic companies like change who the core character is under the suit like to me like clark kent is superman bruce wayne is batman peter parker is spider-man although i've come around in miles morales because like really because of the spider-man game and i'm like okay there can definitely be more than one spider-man and i know that, like you know I, I don't ever foresee a day especially when like matt reeves has a movie coming out in 2022 now um that you're ever gonna like have bruce wayne completely replaces the batman so why and i thought they were kind of doing this with the whole like league of batman where they mm -hmm. had like different people under the cowl all over the world but i could be way off because again it's been like years since I yeah i disagree stuff. i think that like batman a lot of people have worn it we've got like dick grayson has been batman mm -hmm. um for an extended period of time um we had um uh terry uh mcginnis has been batman mm -hmm. uh, and bruce and bruce wayne exists in those stories so it's not right. like they're swapping out the character i mean i think you can make the argument that instead of you know making a black version, for example, of a character that already exists, we should make better black characters, mm -hmm. um, which, yeah, hundred percent. But I think the other piece is that Batman is a costume um, separate from Bruce Wayne, which I don't know, like Superman is Superman, that he's not a costume, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? The costume is, well, I mean, I don't know, whatever, but Superman is one thing. I think with Batman, it's a cowl and it's an outfit that's been worn by so many other characters. So I think, oh gosh, I've already forget his first name, Fox. Um, yeah, I forget his first name, but last name Fox. Uh, he's still going to be a character in his own right. He's not just going to be like the new Batman. He's mm -hmm. not the new Bruce Wayne that happens to look different. He's his own character. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really exciting to kind of see, okay, so what's going to happen? You know, where's Batman now? We've had Batman die before. We've had Batman retire before. We've had Batman step aside before. Um, so, you know, we've had Batman focus on being Bruce Wayne before and retire mm -hmm. as Batman. So where's Bruce Wayne going to be? And how is this character going to show up and end up donning the cowl? The League of Batman was one story. Um, I you know, it was, it's not a series of comics like where they had... Batman so yeah, there was a series, he basically had, there's a few different iterations, but yeah, where they were like Batman type characters internationally, mm -hmm. like there's also Batman Incorporated, which mm -hmm. was uh, a different version of that. So there is that, which honestly it could be, like it could be another Batman that exists contemporaneously with Bruce Wayne. I honestly have no idea, but mm -hmm. uh, to say that there's no precedent, like I, there's lots of precedent oh, for other people. I'm being sorry. Batman. That's now, not I'm not saying that you said that. No, no, no. I'm right. saying like, there's lots, I don't think right. that Batman exists the same way. Like Miles Morales um, is kind of in a bit, it's kind of in a different universe. So it's mm -hmm. a little different than that. Superman is Superman, but Batman's a suit. Right. Ah. Oh, I know the night is getting late. So we'll maybe <laughs> for another day. I feel like yeah. Batman is so informed by Bruce's own trauma. And yeah, I do wish that like writers would stop 
saying like, hey, other, we don't have need necessarily. I I would love to see someone go back to like the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams run on that character where it was like more of a detective and definitely dark, but not like grim dark. Um, and he's not married to Catwoman, like by guess, like they're in a relationship and that was great, but they were supposed to get yeah. married and then like, nope, Batman can never be happy. So yeah. they pulled the string out and I guess it was Bane, but no, I don't know. I Joker want to love, showed, you know, listen, there's a lot, but I want to love Batman comics again. And like every time something feels like it's going to pull me back in, I'm like, ah. the Batman main storyline goes a few different places i really liked i barked about how much i love the new 52 batman much more than the Mm -hmm. um batman stories the uh like the tom king run i really like the tom Mm -hmm. king run but not as much as i like the snyder capullo run um and i think those those books go different places that i think bruce and batman go didn't like new 52 they were like we're going to make it a little bit lighter we're going to focus more on the bat family and lighter maybe i don't know (laughs) Okay. I would say New 52 is definitely darker and more horror adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I've yelled about this a million times. Any chance I've gotten the opportunity? Snyder has a really, really, really great handle. Okay. Uh, Scott Snyder, not Zack Snyder, has a really, really excellent handle on uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne as a character okay. um, and does a really great job. And him and Capullo are just great. But yeah, I think if you didn't love the whole Batman's getting married to Catwoman, you know, I thought that would be uh, great. Nightwing bachelor party bits. If that wasn't your speed, then uh, I would say that the new 52 run is a little bit probably more appealing. I would love the idea of a happy Bruce Wayne still fighting crime. Um, Mm. I kind of would really enjoy that. I I don't know. I'm I'm a weirdo. All right. We'll table that (laughs) for another time because I'm going to need to pick your brain. Another podcast and another time. I need to pick your brain about what I need to read again from batman to get back into it because i do miss it and i know that you're the perfect person to ask these things so that is our episode let's try that again so that is our episode on final destination 2 follow us over on twitter at pod and pendulum um also like our facebook group like we're actually doing stuff on it again like i'm definitely we're posting questions and polls and I'm trying to like spotlight other podcasts that I'm listening to every day um, as well to the, give our, our listeners there. And it's a really nice little community. So I hate Facebook in general, but I do like some of the groups on there. So go to facebook.com slash pod and the pendulum. Um, support our Patreon as well. We're going to be recording on Krampus in a couple days and that will be up by Christmas. And other than that, we'll be back next week with Final Destination 3 and onward and upward we go. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs>